oh hey man what's up it's it's good to see you and talk to you again yeah uh not much is going on man just you know hanging out yeah how's living in hattiesburg these days i don't live in hattiesburg anymore what are you talking about what i what are you talking wait what are, are you I, the real day one i'm todd Who is this i'm todd i'm no! todd <laughs> Welcome, everyone, to Watch If You Dare, the podcast. I am not the doppelganger. I am Derek. And joining me, as always, is my co-host, who I also hope is not a doppelganger. Aaron, how are you doing today? That's not cranberry sauce. (laughs) I'm doing good. I am doing great. I am excited to talk about this ridiculous fucking movie with you. Um, This is one of the very few Thanksgiving horror movies, and um, it's bananas. So I'm definitely glad to be talking about this one this week we are discussing blood rage by the way if you haven't seen the title of the episode (laughs) based off the title yeah and we also have by the time this drops are going to be over a year we pretty much are at the year anniversary so we'll probably uh give some thank yous out in a little bit but before then like always what kind of horror have you been digging into lately uh so we are recording this episode into november And we recorded the last one at the end of October. So I had a last minute run on horror movies. Unfortunately, uh, my TV died. Uh, So it literally just popped, fizzled, dead. And this is a TV where, unfortunately, I've been Frankensteining it together to keep it because it's got some very specific features and is dead. So I've been watching stuff on my laptop. Is it the same TV that you had since college? Yes. Oh, God, that thing is old. For the AV. V nerds. It is a Panasonic Plasma, but it is one that has all these fancy Pioneer parts from when Panasonic bought out all of Pioneer's tech. So it has this fancy-ass Kuro panel with a THX mode that was in like three to $4,000 Pioneer Plasmas that Panasonic was just dumping in their regular sets. So it has an insanely good picture that only until recently these new OLED TVs are kind of getting close to. So, okay, there's Nerd Corner for y'all. But either way, working on getting a new TV, I've been watching a shit on my laptop which is kind of infuriating but I gotta get my fix so while doing chores and cooking etc I threw on a bunch of shit that I've seen before that I just wanted to kind of rewatch. so I watched I Trapped the Devil which is an independent horror movie from this year that was pretty fun it's about a guy and his wife who go to visit his brother who has never been quite well and the brother is convinced that he has trapped the devil in his basement And there is just a voice coming from the other side of this closet door in the cellar. And, you know, the husband and wife are trying to decide, like, okay, is the brother just going nuts or not? It's fun. It's atmospheric. There's some good filmmaking to it. The performances are good. So it's it's a fun one to check out. Um, that is on Hulu. I also watched David Cronenberg's Shivers, which is also on Hulu. That movie is super fun. It is like a parasitic outbreak within this fancy schmancy apartment complex, giant skyscraper tower thing. But it's a parasite that kind of drives people to like spread it through like sex. So it's got all the great David Cronenberg hallmarks that you would expect. I'm assuming really disgusting body horror. It's not as bad because this is one of his early movies, so it has a very rough quality to it. It's not as gooey as his stuff in the 80s, but there's still a lot of very interesting moments in it for sure. I watched... Hellraiser 4, Bloodlines. (laughs) I have been reading the Hellraiser comics, as anybody who's listened to the last few episodes knows, and it happened to be on Hulu. I saw it in the list of stuff while I was watching the other movies. I was like, okay, sure, click. 
Funny enough, there is a very specific link to tonight's movie that we're talking about, Blood Rage, that I will get to later. Hellraiser 4 is the one that's known as Hellraiser in Space. It's across three time periods, so it starts in France in like the 1600s, and it's these ookie-gookie occult aristocracy guys who open a portal to hell and bring this demon to Earth, and she kind of does their bidding for a little while, and it's them with the toy maker guy who makes the puzzle box. Okay, flash to like modern day, the puzzle maker's descendant is now building a skyscraper that's like a puzzle box because he's this architect. Okay. Why not? And then like in the far future, there is like a space station that is also a puzzle box that ultimately the like great, 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 great grandson is trying to trap the Cenobites forever in and like close the gateway. So it's these three time periods the effects in it are fun. It's a movie that I'm pretty sure is an Alan Smithy joint because the director like took his name off of it. But oddly enough, Adam Scott's in it, and it's just so weird. Like he's one of those people like Paul Rudd and Keanu Reeves that like was in stuff in the '90s and just has not aged. But it's just so strange to see Adam Scott in a Hellraiser movie. Sure, Ben Wyatt himself, huh? Yeah, uh, Mayor of Ice Town. I watched Disturbing Behavior, uh, which is like the teens all being programmed in their town to be good teens and their programming breaks and they kill people. It's fun. It's proof that Katie Holmes has never really been that great of an actress. She's just always been very cute. James Marsden is also kind of just super vanilla, but Nick Stahl is one of those like actors from around that time period that like man he should have been bigger because he's good in that movie he was good in a lot of the stuff that he was in at the time period William Sadler's in it and just a bunch of other character actors so that's fun if you want like some late 90s teen slice of horror I watched Larry Fessenden's Wendigo it's fine it's fun I like some of his other stuff better it was just kind of one of those like oh it's on Amazon sure click hadn't seen this before I mostly got into his stuff through the video game Until Dawn, um, and I kind of went back and started watching all of his older stuff a while back, but Wendigo was one that I just wasn't able to track down. It's fine. It's fun. It's got the kid from Malcolm in the Middle in it. Yeah, it's good enough. I watched Curtains, which that's the goofiest trash with the goofiest kill, like with ice skates. I'm not going to talk about that one much. Uh, Heather and I watched (laughs) Halloween 4 while we were decorating some uh, Halloween cookies. That movie's fun. Again, like we talked about in the Halloween 3 episode, after Halloween 3, it's kind of my favorite of the Halloween sequels. So it was like the Shudder, Joe Bob extravaganza version. I watched a movie called Mausoleum on Amazon, which that one just recently came out, I think, from Code Red or Vinegar Syndrome. I can't remember. Has Marjo Gortner in it, who was a, like, child preacher in the, like, 50s and 60s. Little five-year-old, his parents drove him all over the country, and he was like, a little fire and brimstone preacher kid. And eventually he became an adult and, like, got out of that and became an actor and was in garbage like Star Crash and Mausoleum. (laughs) What a life. Yeah, really. I watched Triangle from 2009 on the recommendation of Elric Kane in uh, his Mindbender movies episode of Pure Cinema. It's about a group of people who go sailing, get kind of stuck in a storm, end up on a cruise ship that is kind of this... Bermuda Triangle time loop kind of bullshit. It's fun. Like, for it being an indie movie, I think it's, like, really well made for what it's trying to do. I think it's put together really well, because those kinds of movies where it's, like, time loops and doppelgangers and all this other stuff, that can get real messy real quick, as we're going to talk about in this movie. And then the other one that I watched that is fucking ludicrous. It is on Amazon. Go watch it. 
It's called The Uninvited. Let's just say it is about a group of teens on spring break who insinuate themselves onto a mobster's yacht and they get stuck in like a storm whatever while trying to like get to the Virgin Islands so this mobster can get the money out of this bank at the last minute because his business is going under. Okay, B plot, C plot, D plot. There is a fucking mutant cat that escaped from a like medical experimentation facility and there is a smaller demon cat that lives inside of that cat like a fucking russian nesting doll cat (laughs) and it comes out of that cat's mouth and attacks people so kind of like a xenomorph yes but it like actually comes all the way out like it's just another smaller demon cat living inside of that main cat that comes out of its mouth completely and attacks people and then crawls back (laughs) but the bigger cat is it still also an asshole like the little one is no it's just like a regular cat and it's hilarious because these people like terrified on this yacht and eventually somebody runs into the cat and it's just like oh shit and it just cuts from regular cat to clearly a puppet cat with its mouth like going like and this like little demon cat puppet coming out going like attacking people (laughs) it's insane the ending of that movie is insane it's like they shot it in the producer's pool at the last minute because they like ran out of time on location in probably off the florida coast where they were filming it it's insane so yeah that movie is on amazon prime it is ludicrous if you just want to watch something real dumb that movie is the one to go to it's got the best of like dumb bad 80s teenager acting and wild again B, C, D, E, F plots and this fucking goofy puppet cat with a demon cat living in its mouth. So anyway, that's all I have looked at because again, our TV died and I have a lot of movies that I want to watch that I've been putting off until we get a new TV because I don't want to watch them on my laptop. One last question. Why aren't we covering the demon cat movie instead? Because it doesn't have anything to do with the Thanksgiving season. (laughs) I mean, this movie barely did either. It just happened to take place (laughs) on Thanksgiving. I don't know, man. Louise Lasser is like eating leftovers on the floor in the kitchen. And just, yeah, we'll We'll, get to it. We'll get it. Jesus. All that said, what did uh, you check out in the last couple weeks? So admittedly, probably not too heavy on horror-centric stuff. I've been steadily going through my stack of comics and, you know, the same old horror stuff that's always reliable and coffin-bound, all all the stuff we've already recommended. I went on to a deep dive though the other day randomly because I was looking stuff up about Jake the Snake Roberts and you know how like he kind of fell from grace as a wrestler and he's now doing better and DDP yoga turned his life around and all that stuff but I went back because a lot of wrestlers always talked about how he is one of the best at cutting a promo and I just started going down this deep hole of old Jake the Snake Roberts promos and like vignettes (laughs) and if you want something that is very very on point for like our podcast like it's very horror centric go watch old Jake the Snake Robert promos on YouTube just type in Jake the Snake promo and you'll be able to find a few and there was one specifically that he cut on Ultimate Warrior when Ultimate Warrior was feuding with The Undertaker and Jake the Snake betrays him I think at one point and it's fucking wild because they're in like a crypt and Jake the Snake is like you gotta do one test you have to face your fears Ultimate 
warrior and fucking <laughs> locks him in a room full of snakes like Indiana Jones style. Real snakes too. And he locks him in. He's like, you got to make it to like this thing in the middle of the room. And when he gets there, he's just like, look in the box. And he opens a box and of course a snake comes out and like bites Ultimate Warrior. <laughs> and like Ultimate Warrior is acting all like poisoned. And that's when Jake the snake starts cutting this promo about how like you never trust a snake and all this and that. Oh God. And then also too, while you're at it, look up his entrance music, specifically his Trust Me entrance music, which was the uh, music he used kind of right after that where uh, he became a heel and it's really fucking like dark trippy like his voice it starts off like his voice just echoing trust me trust me you can trust me <laughs> it's his original theme but it's slowed down like 200 percent, oh and it God. is fucking ridiculous i was as like as soon as we are done i'm looking all this shit up oh yeah trust me 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 know as cartoonish as the wwe was in like the early 90s and all that like jake the snake was ahead of his time we would not have bray wyatt today without jake the snake he laid the groundwork for like that very quiet psychotic kind of character so yeah if you're even slightly interested in wrestling you got to look up stuff by jake the snake i also am still making my way through shadow of the tomb raider i just haven't really been able to play video games a lot as of late and the game is pretty meaty so i did get to a, a story temple that just went straight straight action horror like jump scares and everything so yeah once again i recommend shadow tomb raider yet again for horror fans because it might be like the most horror centric one out of this trio of the reboots i'm having a lot of fun with it okay and then there was a comic that i actually just read earlier today it's a new one i think there's only one or two issues out of it and it's called you are obsolete and it's actually put out by aftershock which is a publisher i don't know if i've brought up before on here and i know of them i just don't think i've ever read anything from them yeah it's imagine like children of the corn but they haven't completely killed off all the adults instead they kind of have power over the adults almost like that kid in uh, the twilight zone who has like who turns that guy into a dummy and all that thing so more like village of the damned more like village of the damned yeah except there's something going on with kids and technology because they're all always looking at their phones and it takes place on like this isolated european island and this journalist who kind of fell from grace she's randomly gets invited out to this island and at first she thinks it was like the teacher of these kids or an adult on the island who like wants her to write a feature on these kids and how brilliant they are but as soon as she arrives like she finds out no the kids are the ones that all set this up and they have taken control of the island and for whatever reason whenever an adult turns 40 they disappear they're killed off okay. or or whatever and yeah so and Village of the Damned is actually probably the closest it comes to so quite an interesting like horror mystery I enjoyed the first issue I enjoyed the artwork a good bit and that's yet another horror comic that has really kind of impressed me early on. Um, there seems to be quite a resurgence of horror comics over the last couple of years, especially from like Image and Aftershock and Boom and all these other studios. So yeah, that's basically all I got for horror. Okay, cool. 
Well, um, we discussed having, you know, kind of like an icebreaker like we do, but we figured instead of just something basic like, you know, what was the worst family Thanksgiving you ever had? It's been a year. This is our 26th episode. So we want to talk about things we're thankful for. So things that we're thankful for. The people in the industry, filmmakers, writers, actors who have reached out to us, who have supported us on Twitter and given shout outs or followed us or whatever even liking a um, post of ours has kind of made our day yeah even if they never really did much more than that that's fine like I mean the fact that Tony Todd followed us totally in candy man and he followed us kind of early on too and he still is following us that's crazy to me so at least off the top of my dome we are thankful for Jim Cummings director of Thunder Road we are thankful for Macon Blair actor from Green Room and Murder Party that we spoke about and Blue Ruin. We are thankful for Joe Bob Briggs. We are thankful for Tony Todd. We are thankful to Joe Lynch, who really, like, went out of his way to, like, message us, talk to us, encourage us, give us, like, some good support. So, we are definitely thankful to all those guys. Me, personally, I am thankful for both my mother, who is a listener, and my mother-in-law, who is probably our biggest fan, honestly. Really? That's awesome. Yeah. And I am thankful to my wife, Heather, who has not only been on the show, who will be back on the show very soon, but who also deals with me uh, editing and spending time recording and literally with my laptop on my knees every time I am pooping, every time I am, like, cooking, every time I am, like, doing anything where I can, like, multitask and I can edit, you know, and the fact that she is, like, cool with me doing all of that and spending time doing that. So I'm thankful for all those things. What are you thankful for day one? Uh, Along with like the celebrities and industry people, we are also thankful for all the people on Twitter, the horror podcast community, the podcast community in general, no matter what your topic is. You guys are awesome. You all are awesome. There's too many of y'all to name. I do want to specifically though name Light the Fright, who is, I've said before, is kind of almost unofficial sister podcast because they discuss phobias and, you know, bring up movies from time to time, but mostly they focus on the phobias pub dread dead letters pod there's i know i'm leaving people off i'm so sorry i probably should have pulled up a list of of y'all but thank you thank you for all the support for retweets for reviews for offers to do cross promotion and guests which uh we still have some personal guests where we need to get on um people we know and family members but we are going to work at really starting to include other shows that we've met through twitter maybe get some guests that strangers people we don't personally know that'd be pretty crazy and just other people outside of the podcast that have supported us someone i did want to mention and she kind of started following us not too long ago is a creepazoid kelly and that's creepazoid with a k seems to be like a huge horror promoter she promotes everything horror related from people who are well known in the industry to people like us who are very diy she she's very cool about like if you tag her in in a post that you make she'll check it out and comment and retweet it seems like she's going through a lot of uh health issues from what i saw on her twitter post so uh we hope you feel better kelly but thank you for all your support specifically and I just also want to thank our friends for sure because I know a lot of them have started listening to us on the regular have written reviews for us you know we've had a couple of y'all already on for guests and I know others have been asking us I also want to thank my wife because she doesn't have any desire to be any way involved with horror including this (laughs) podcast she's just 
not a fan, but she helps get her numbers up by downloading our episodes and everything else. So she's supportive of you doing it too. So absolutely, which is good. Thank you, Savannah. Yeah, absolutely. Other than that, I'm I guess thankful for my cats, even though they're both assholes. <laughs> I'm also thankful to my dogs, even though they're idiots. So, oh, Neville's adorable. All right, cool, cool. Well, we are going to be discussing 1983, 1987, dot, 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 Blood Rage. You're going to have to explain that to me. Slasher, Nightmare at Shadow Woods. We'll figure it out. We are going to be discussing Blood Rage. <laughs> Before we start, Fred and I have an announcement to make. Come on, honey. You tell them. Well, we're going to tie the knot. We're Congratulations, Mom. Oh, Terry. Oh, Terry. I love you so much. That's really nice. Congratulations. I'm happy for you both. I really am. Thanks. <laughs> I guess the toast is in order. Uh, oh, a toast. <laughs> here's to the new family. <laughs> well, I'd say that this big bird is ready for carving. Terry, you do the honors. Well, seeing as how we have a new head of the family, I think it's time you started pulling your own weight around here. <laughs> Thanks, buddy. Hey. Listen, dig in, everybody. Dig in. I mean, on the other stuff. Oh, great. great. Awesome. So, is this movie like the most stereotypical slasher movie like ever made? Because absolutely, <laughs> the only thing it was missing was an iconic looking killer. Like, guy didn't have a mask or anything like that. Oh, you didn't think Mark Sopar with his like long stringy blonde hair and his tank tops was iconic? <laughs> Jesus Christ! And this movie was so ridiculous because we which seems to be a common theme lately with our our show. And this was a trash horror as well. I guess on the same level as Night of the Demons, I guess. Oh, this is this is a few steps below that. They at least had a budget for, like, makeup. <laughs> so, I don't know. I've been struggling with this. I had fun with this movie, for sure. But I don't know if I like this movie, if that makes any sense. <laughs> I can't decide if I like this as a horror movie or not. Or just, it's a good time. It's definitely worth checking out if you have any interest in horror and slasher movies specifically. Because, uh, dude, it almost felt like the scary movie or another parody movie it felt like the airplane of slashers at certain points like are they being serious right now because this is ridiculous it feels like if tim and eric today made an 80s slasher movie yeah so all transparency i'm the one that picked this movie because i've fucking fallen in love with this weird movie in the last couple of years it came out on blu-ray from arrow a couple of years ago and this is one of those movies that like was kind of lost to the sands of time in the vhs realm it was made in 83 like they shot it in 83 they released it in 87 it was released theatrically as nightmare at shadow woods and then it got like a weird truncated release under the title slasher which that title card is like still on the streaming version on amazon that i 
yep, I had to watch because my TV's down right now and I couldn't just pop in my Arrow Blu-ray. Uh, yeah, I saw I saw Blood Rage and Slasher were the two title cards I saw because yes, they had both yeah. of them on the beginning credits. But either way, this was one of those movies that like there were multiple cuts of it and it just kind of disappeared into the VHS world. But Arrow like pulled a crazy one and like put this out on blu-ray cleaned it up it looks amazing and they have all three versions of this movie like the one with less gore the one with alternate scenes and honestly too normally i would just pop in my blu-ray i streamed it on amazon because the tv's down i'm pretty sure that the cut that i just watched on amazon is a completely different cut than what i've seen before because there were scenes like missing and there were scenes in it that i like don't remember so either way this movie's a fucking like wild oddity of 80s like slasher bullshit. I only thought there were two cuts because I, when I was finding the movie online, I went onto the Wikipedia page and I saw that they had two running times, the 79 minute censored version and the 82 minute uncensored version. Yeah. I made sure my copy was the 82 minute one, of course. Yeah. But I didn't know that there were more cuts of it than even that. I can't remember like what's different, but I, I believe there's like a third cut of the movie on the Blu-ray. So this is one of those weird regional specific movies movies like it doesn't just take place in like any town usa it fucking takes place explicitly in jacksonville florida (laughs) of all places yeah yep Makes so much sense that this is a fucking Florida setting, too. Yeah, really. It was all filmed there, except for, like, the drive-in scene right at the beginning. It was all filmed in Jacksonville, which, again, like, fucking wild. And it's just, there's, like, weird notable things in it. Like, this is Ted Raimi's debut in film. Uh, Sam Raimi's brother, the actor. Ted Raimi's, like, one of those, like, that guy character actors that you've seen in fucking everything. This was his film debut, and he's the con salesman in the bathroom at the drive-in. <laughs> and his credit is condom salesman when I looked up the cast. Yeah. I remember like hearing an interview with him or something like that where he literally was like, yeah, I tried to make it in the acting game. I was literally about to pack my shit up and go home to Michigan. And then I got this role and boom, now my career is what it is. So, like we have Ted Raimi's career to thank for, you know, this weird garbage movie. It was directed by John Grismer, who really only has, like, two other credits. He wrote a movie called The Bride, which we see a clip of in this movie when the characters are, like, watching it on TV. And then he directed a movie called Scalpel, which I haven't watched yet, but I've heard interesting things about it. Like, this movie, Blood Rage, is definitely, like, way more goofy and campy and just ridiculous, but I heard that Scalpel's actually kind of interesting. Arrow also has it out on Blu-ray, and I believe it's on Amazon Prime. I just haven't had time to watch it. I wanted to try to watch it before this, and just didn't end up having the time to do so. Either way, like, it's kind of wild, and it's it stars uh, Louise Lasser from Mary Hartman, Mary Hartman, and I mean, that was, like, her big TV show. She was in most of Woody Allen's, like, really early movies, and then she was just in a lot of TV stuff, but then there's this kind of weird resurgence in her career, like, from this point on. She did Blood 
Rage, where she plays the mother. But from there, she's like very specifically in some weird cult movies where I have to wonder, like, did people cast her for who she was or did they cast her for kind of who she became? But she was in Frankenhooker and Todd Solondz's Happiness, which is a super fucked up movie. She was in Mystery Men. She was in Requiem for a Dream. And she was in HBO's Girls, you know? So, like, she's been in, like, so much weird shit. And then on the flip side of things, nobody else was really <laughs> anything from this fucking movie. Well, the other thing I, I think I read about Lasser um, when I was looking stuff up about this movie was that it was rumored that she was the first person ever banned from Saturday Night Live as well for, like, erratic behavior, like, when she was guesting. I I wouldn't doubt that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Just seeing her performance in this movie, which we'll talk about, it's wild. Yeah. She is in a completely different movie from everybody else. And I don't just mean all of her scenes in the apartment drinking wine and cleaning. I mean, like, her performance is on a different fucking planet. Oh, yeah, it is. Um, I mean, and she she's a very accomplished, historically accomplished actress. She has done a lot, but she has also seems like a very interesting person. Yeah. The actor Mark Sopar, who plays the twins, Todd and Terry, beyond this movie, I mean, he was in TJ Hooker and The Equalizer, and he was on a bunch of episodes of Knott's Landing, and he was in random movies like Phenomenon and Swordfish and White Oleander, but from there, it's kind of mostly theater. Apparently, he, like, owns, from what I was reading, it appears to be, like, a theatrical production company, so that's mostly what he's involved in now. And then Julie Gordon, kind of the third main character in this, she was in Super Fuzz, which I saw years ago, which is about a fucking police officer who gets superpowers from, like, radioactive material, and it's just him, like, running around doing wild <laughs> shit. The fuck? <laughs> and the only other acting credit she has is this movie called Deadly Illusion that I watched a few months ago when I was on my Larry Cohen kick. Larry Cohen, who again directed The Stuff and Cue the Winged Serpent and God Told Me To. Deadly Illusion is like a crime thriller. So that's why I didn't bring it up on the show. It's just, it's not like a horror related thing. But it stars Billy D. Williams and Vanity and Morgan Fairchild. So that's one that like I looked up when I was trying to blast through a lot of his movies a while back. And that one's actually kind of fun. So they're kind of the main people in this movie and everybody else is definitely, definitely just kind of 80s teenage fodder. And uh, this movie isn't scary by the way. Yeah, no. <laughs> There's a lot of uh, disturbing elements to it. There are. Yeah, this movie is extremely like unsettlingly gory out of nowhere to yeah. the point where it's kind of disturbing. Well, and it kind of like, so my soapbox is always uh, mental illness. You know, that's one of those things where like I don't mind being very vocal about people need to be better educated or aware of mental illness and all that. But there's always context because like some people might watch this movie and they, even for the 80s, this is kind of a shit show on the portrayal of mental illness. Totally, totally. But there is always context. Um, and in the context of the rest of this movie, I was okay with it just because the all of this movie is bad shit. That, sure, why not? That's just an element that's treated the same as everything else in this fucking movie. Yeah. Uh, beyond that, though, like, and granted, you know, I'm glad we watched this because the nightmare fucked me up a little bit. <laughs> it was, nightmare was pretty scary. So this was a nice I little break. I figured this would be kind of a, 
a, a little bit of a break because we are about to get into some like actual dark and scary stuff really soon. Yeah, yeah, I'm not looking forward to that. But <laughs> but yeah, I mean, there are themes in this movie. Just like even in Night of Demons, we were able to find themes and ideas and certain scenes that are pretty creepy. But nah, it's not scary. <laughs> like <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, it, you're gonna be like laughing your ass off. And th- I will say this is a movie to watch with other people. If you have a friendsgiving or something like that and you want to watch something fucking double feature this shit with plane trains and automobiles like watch that and then watch this and just get drunk and have friendsgiving and just laugh your asses off but this is definitely not a scary movie thanksgiving is about as important to this plot as like the condom salesman is like yeah it, so it does to and we're, i'm jumping a it little takes bit ahead place on thanksgiving explicitly it takes place on thanksgiving but unlike all the halloween movies we did all three of the halloween movies were very much like aware of halloween it was all as around a holiday yeah yeah this is not it could have been any other fucking night to yeah. be honest with you it's not like terry was running around dressed up as a pilgrim <laughs> killing anybody which it probably would have been a better movie because like i said i think the only thing missing from this fucking ridiculous parody of slashers is an iconic looking killer yeah Beyond that, this movie is definitely made on a shoestring budget, but there's some interesting stuff going on from like a filmmaking perspective, I will say. The makeup effects in this are really interesting, which we'll get to more in depth. But the gore and the makeup effects of this movie are kind of wild. And you can tell that's where they spent the majority of the budget and attention. The soundtrack in this is actually pretty solid. It has the most ridiculous 80s synth soundtrack. Yeah, it kind of reminded me too of Phantasm because it's constantly going the entire movie. Yeah. Kind of in the same way as House. Yeah. Where start to finish there's always music. And, you know, there are pause breaks for like more quiet scenes or whatever. But for the most part, it's a lot like Phantasm where it's just music cue to music cue and like you said yeah I dug the shit out of the soundtrack for this actually to the point where I was kind of looking online to see if I could find a vinyl of it or um, yeah or just even a digital release I doubt it was ever like released physically but um yeah the opening track of it is really pretty solid So, all that said, um, Blood Rage, the movie begins, again, explicitly in Jacksonville, Florida, <laughs> 1974. Jesus We open Christ. at a drive-in movie theater. There's like a good, really kind of, again, unironic slice of that early 80s life. We see all these teens hanging out, making out in their cars. One dude is like getting popcorn and just all the hair, all the clothes, like everything about it is just the best look at what things were like at that point in the 80s in a very like unironic 
kind of way. This was supposed to be the 70s, but they are all dressed like they're it's, in the 80s. Oh, God, like, yeah. They did fucking nothing to try and make it look like the time period they were trying to portray. Yeah, and I will say, I miss drive-ins. Yeah. We had a drive-in growing up that was opened up for a few years, and then Katrina came and, like, fucked it up. But I remember going to see, like, the worst double features there, like Shrek 2 and Pearl Harbor. <laughs> Oh my dear Christ, yeah. really? Yeah, we we were watching Pearl Harbor and right at the sex scene, the like film broke. Just it melted away and like went to scratch and they had to like fix it 30 minutes later. I think we saw The Matrix Reloaded there. I can't remember what it was paired with. I definitely saw Joe Dirt there. So this was like 2001, 2, 3, like right in that time period. So yeah, definitely missed drive-ins. There's a cool one up in Memphis that Jesse keeps sending me their schedules and god that place plays so many fucking good movies and double features so if there's a drive-in nearby you definitely go it's worth the experience and it's definitely a fun way to watch fun trash that you've seen a bunch of times so anyway we open at the drive-in and eventually we get around to maddie again played by louise lasser and she is on a date and she has her twin sons todd and terry asleep in the back of this station wagon yeah. while she's making out with her date. Yeah. And then her date is like, come on, babe, we can we can go all the way. And like yeah. the kids are in the fucking back. And mind you, she is considering it to the point where she kind of looks back two or three times. Okay, kids are asleep. All right, let's do it. Yeah. And I love too that she eventually she's just like, no, no, we can't. The kids, the kids. Meanwhile, these two fucking kids like sneak out the back, which while she's making out with this guy, how the hell did they not hear her two kids that are literally like inches behind them wake up talk to each other, click open the back hatch of the station wagon, which you know is not quiet. It's a station wagon. The film makes no effort either to make it quiet. Like, yeah. it's just regular noise. Yeah, it's a station wagon with a big swing open door. You know it was just like opening up, you know? <laughs> so anyway, these two fucking kids sneak out and they just wander around the drive-in. Eventually, one of them, Terry, finds one of those work hammers that is like a hatchet hammer, right? I don't know like what the technical term for that's called. And then walks over to a car where a guy and his girlfriend are literally like completely naked, fucking with the door to the back open. Like the door is just wide open. And this kid comes up and is just staring at him. And of course they like see him and they're like, you know, what are you doing, you little creep? And he's just creepily standing there staring at them while the other brother is watching. And Terry with the hatchet murders this guy and just you know hatch to the head fake blood everywhere girl starts screaming she runs out this is gonna be a common theme in the movie that stuff like axes and knives they may as well be wolverine's adamantium claws <laughs> yeah this movie does a terrible job the fakest hatchet by the way oh it's yeah, like yeah, a yeah plastic hatchet that's just spray painted a little bit better <laughs> and i mean even if it was a real hatchet it looked dull as fuck too <laughs> like yeah. it could not do this and there are moments where he is slashing like later on in the movie and you can tell he's completely missing the person and they'll do like a quick cut and it'll show like yeah. more that knife would not do that yeah it would be a bad cut but it would not fucking sever someone's arm off or behead yeah. them or whatever and this is a very very amateur attempt at creative editing to get around the special effects but 
boy oh boy is it amateur oh yeah the dummies they use when they're actually doing or the makeup effects that they're using for the gore it treats it like their butter and like i said earlier that all the weapons are like (laughs) wolverine's claws just fucking slicing through them like it's nothing another thing too which general theme over the entire movie kind of elicited out of me was this is kind of like all those serial killers that have some weird perversion with sex and like those wires get crossed and mommy issues and mommy issues like the ones who like edmund kemper and all that who like targeted prostitutes or ed gain yeah yeah, take that and go zero to 60 with it instead of like years and years of abuse yeah like slowly leading up to it it's just like no this kid's tired of his mom banging her boyfriend and is tired of seeing other people have sex blood rage let's go yeah the movie tries to imply that that's what triggered terry was like his mom is making out with a date um and that's like what sets him off you know and he like murders people um so anyway going back to again the like mom maddie with her date after she turns around and realizes that the boys are gone and she starts freaking out like my boys where are they her date is like this is why i don't date women who drag their kids with them everywhere god (laughs) yeah what a piece of shit and we also yeah he was a piece of shit and also too (laughs) and kind of like when they were showing these beginning scenes and like showing you all around the drive-in that's when you see Raimi as the condom salesman in the bathroom yeah. dealing condoms out to guys and like these guys are paying and this is in the 70s a dollar a dollar a condom a whole dollar per condom yeah like um, really but yeah he's totally got them like all pinned to the inside of his vest like he's a drug dealer yeah, yeah. so he's got on like a fedora and his goofy glasses and then like this vest that he like cracks open to show the goods right and and this is Ted Raimi this is character actor Ted Raimi so he is like mugging that shit up to the camera like he's like doing his eyebrows all goofy and you know making like weird you know facial expressions and everything but of course the guy that comes in is just like hey the cool I'll take a Trojan those are my favorite and you know Ted Raimi is like genuinely just like hey hey just mugging it up so it's it's fucking hilarious his small bit reminded me of the two convenience store workers and Night of the Demons yeah just over the top Terry kills this fucking guy with the hatchet and then starts screaming, shoves the hatchet into his brother's hand, which oh. his brother Todd is like full like catatonic. And it's hilarious because while 30 people are all running up to the scene, he just shoves the hatchet in his brother's hand, smears blood on his face and is like, he did it, he did yeah. it. <laughs> but sir, even before all of that, the girlfriend gets out from underneath the dead body of her boyfriend and runs off into like the field completely naked yeah just into oblivion (laughs) yeah don't know what happened like into a forest it looked like so again everybody runs up while terry's just like he did it he killed it and like meanwhile like again everybody would have seen him shove this hatchet into his brother's hand and wipe blood on his face so that's that we then cut to 10 years later with a very convenient expositional voiceover (laughs) from the psychologist (laughs) explaining todd's condition and where he is now and the fact that Todd has been in like this mental asylum for the last 10 years and how he's disconnected and blah 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 so you're getting this long expositional dump that is clearly just we had to go back in and maybe shoot some extra bullshit because it didn't make sense the A to B connection right the other thing the psychologist Dr. Berman is played by Marianne Cantor she is the producer of this movie and she is only playing the psychologist because the woman that they cast as a psychologist just didn't show up on the day that they needed to shoot. I was wondering because I remember seeing
seeing that, and I'm like, why the fuck did the producer play that part? Yeah. And she's got credits. Uh, she was in Sydney Lumet's The Pawnbroker, and she was in, like, a 60s kind of drug movie called uh, Hallucination Generation, and then Devil's Angels, which was, like, a biker gang movie. Um, but she produced a horror movie called Dark August in the mid-70s, and then this one. And that's all the credits she really has. But, yeah, this scene definitely reeks of, like, we had to go back in and reshoot some stuff because it just didn't make sense. Also, too, like, okay, so, all right, for context, this movie's trash, but I love, unironically, I love these kinds of trash movies that were made with such an insane level of sincerity and dedication to making it happen. This movie bends over backwards to make oh, shit yeah. happen. <laughs> That's for sure. The Pat Oswalt bit where he's like, you know what? No matter how much I fucking hate whatever project I'm working on, no matter how much I'm like miserable and I'm tired and like I just don't believe in what I'm currently working on, I have to think about that movie, Deathbed, The Bed That Eats People. And remember, somebody fucking wrote that movie and they persevered and they finished it and somebody directed that movie and a fucking carpenter got up every day at 6 a.m. to build the fucking deathbed <laughs> and probably threw out his shoulder and couldn't play ball with his son and now his son like hates him and it was all for this movie called fucking deathbed but you know what they made it and it came out and like that level of weird dedication it's the same dedication from like the room and Tommy Wiseau's like insane passion for making that movie it's the same thing with the people who made Miami Connection or the the spiritual successor to deathbed death spa yeah totally <laughs> so like I love movies like this that have that amateur wild as fuck dangerous kind of feel to them but that were made with like insane amounts of passion and dedication and even though they are like the most messy garbage trash there's something so fun and satisfying about them yes you laugh at them ironically and you poke fun at the weird mistakes and the bad stuff and like misconnections but I genuinely love those kinds of movies and that's like why this movie's fun not like it's again it's barely a Thanksgiving movie but it's I mean you have this and like the other stupid one with the fucking killer turkey puppet like there's not a whole lot we could really work with here for Thanksgiving (laughs) so this is kind of a one and done just so y'all know but either way I just love like the weird messiness to the filmmaking like in this scene where it flashes forward why do we have to see the mom literally drive up and talk to the security guard and like tell him like genuinely like I hope you have a happy Thanksgiving and then like drive around front and park why do we need any of that in this fucking movie just flash forward to her in the office right but these kinds of basic filmmaking things are the kind of things that just don't necessarily always occur to directors who are making their first movies and writers who are like you don't necessarily have to have all this bullshit <laughs> anyway again I love how messy this movie is in all these dumb ways oh yeah and we're about to get to some real honest and true portrayals of mental illness and by honest and true I mean complete <laughs> horseshit dookie nonsense that's ridiculous <laughs> like <laughs> so. um okay so maddie is visiting with the psychologist dr berman and i love the fucking voiceover because the voiceover from the psychologist is just her position on another issue was somewhat negative yeah. the audio cuts back <laughs> into louise lasser just screaming no 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 like it's just the most over-the-top horseshit dr berman's patient consultation notes november 22nd 1984 saw maddie simmons 
Todd's mother for the first time today. I don't think she was quite prepared for what I told her, that after 10 years, Todd was starting to remember what had happened in the drive-in that night. Facing the fact that Todd's memory of the incident cast suspicion on his twin brother, Terry, was not that Terry? easy for her. On Terry? What, are you crazy? Her position on another issue was also somewhat negative. No, no, no more tests, no more tests. My children are not guinea pigs. My past work with hysterical patients helped me calm her down. Though calmer, Maddie's level of resistance was still quite high. Lester, by the way, spends like 50, at least half this movie, screaming like, yeah. and like yelling. But it's that really raspy, like, smoker's voice. Oh, yeah, totally. Yeah, her voice is shot by this point in her career, so it just makes it that much stranger. But they bring in Todd, um, again, the son who's been like locked up in the asylum. She's like, oh, yeah, my boy, Todd. So good to see you. I brought your favorite pumpkin pie. And, you know, while they're sitting down, he's like trying to tell her. He's been like trying to convince everybody like, I didn't do it. It was my brother terry i should have spoken up years ago when the mom is finally just like i don't know terry's terry's probably innocent like it's probably okay todd like fucking loses his shit and just mushes up this piece of pumpkin pie it's just like all in his hand just staring at it and like yeah. gets up and just throws that shit against yep. the wall <laughs> and then i think shortly after that it goes back to like the um psychiatrist voiceover yeah being like i think we made a good connection today or something <laughs> like that it's just like what the also, too, the way that you tell the twins apart, which, again, this is just the one actor Mark so far, but the way that you tell the twins apart is that Todd, the innocent one who's been in the asylum, he has long, stringy, greasy hair, and then Terry just has his hair slicked back. That's the only difference. Yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, they're the same. And Todd, like, is very timid and, like unsure and and just a little unhinged i mean they're both yeah. unhinged but it's a different type of unhinged where he's kind of like very suspicious terry is more of like the cool calculated serial killer vibe like i wouldn't say calculated nothing about no 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 not calculated, calculated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah he is very cool and like cracking jokes and is good under pressure i guess yeah fucking ted bundy ass <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that's kind of what it is. It's more that, like, he's been dormant for 10 years, but he's very, like, 80s good-looking, I guess. God, and, um, yeah. Has friends, is confident, etc. So, we now see adult Terry. He lives with his mom, Maddie, at this big, giant apartment complex in, again, Jacksonville, Florida. And the apartment complex is called Shadow Woods, which is where that alternate title comes from. So, we see him, and he's playing football with his friends we then see this scene where like a new neighbor who's out jogging bumps into terry and kind of introduces herself and she's kind of the stereotypical blonde mullet sexy girl from the 80s um and she's clearly hitting on him like right in front of this other girl karen that we'll get to in a minute who's got a thing for him oh i thought him and karen were straight up dating i thought it was established that they were in a relationship and he just starts flirting with this other girl right in front of her exactly Exactly. That's kind of what you think. But then later in the movie, there's the scene where she's like, I have to confess, I like you, blah, 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 right? That's what I was kind of confused by. Like, are they dating? Are they together already or not, right? Because Terry is definitely just hitting on this other girl right in front of her. But like in the opening scene, I think he kisses her too, like while they're out, like out on the field. That's right. He does. Yeah. He does. So yeah, it's just weird that like later she's like, I need to confess. Oh I'm yeah. I'm in love with you. The dialogue's all over the place. So. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We see him meet this new attractive 
his neighbor and she kind of flirt flirts with him and you know she's like yeah your mom invited me to like have thanksgiving dinner with y'all so we then like hard cut to just everybody sitting around this dinner table fucking laughing at nothing it's just every day we're like ah, 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 ah. they're all just sitting there and then it's oh yeah blah 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 this food's all so good and again this is the best 80s mullets shoulder pads fucking terry has popped collar tie on hair all quaffed up it's the most insane i guess that's what a frat guy would look like in the 80s i think it's what the costume designer thought, thought that a frat guy <laughs> that he's dressed like. Yeah, and I heard you mention earlier like about it being an apartment complex. I didn't realize that. I thought it was all one big manor that no, Terry's it's, it's mom's the, boyfriend owned because no, it's fucking... it's a giant apartment <laughs> complex. That. They're going from like room to room to room. I totally thought that they were just all on this grounds. That makes so much more sense because I was so fucking confused of like, wait, why are these people living so close? Yeah, when you have a movie that is set in a very specific place like this and you're going from like area to area area it's generally good filmmaking to establish the geography so you kind of know where you are at any given moment this movie doesn't do any of that because this movie doesn't know how to do any of that in terms of geography I was completely lost the entire fucking time because the characters are going from apartment to apartment and you're moving around and you're cutting between all these apartments that all just look the same they're all the same looking shitty apartments and it's going from different areas of like the grounds of this apartment complex but again it all blends together because there's no establishment of like how everything's laid out the general area that these apartments are in may as well be like a multi-acre like land owned by one person because there's like nature trails and and like all around the apartment complex I think the thing that also confused me was this apartment complex is fucking empty as shit yeah it seems like there are only like 12 people actually live there yeah other than these characters, nobody else seems to exist in this apartment complex, and they're all literally running around screaming, screaming, yeah, and like yep. nobody hears anything. Yeah, they're all sitting around the dinner table. Maddie stands up with her boyfriend Brad, and they announce that they are getting engaged. And you immediately hear the like, and the music <laughs> as it like cuts to Terry, and he's just like, "Fuck!" And you can just see <laughs> the rage is coming back, the blood rage, the, the hunger. <laughs> it also reminded me of the scene in Kill Bill when it zooms up to her eyes. Yeah, that's exactly what it is. So, once again, Terry is triggered by his mom, I don't know, fucking having an adult relationship. What a snowflake. Yeah, so anyway, her boyfriend Brad is the guy who, like, owns the apartment complex. I only say that because it's important for later. So, and again, Louise Lasser in this movie is fucking off the wall. Like, she has crazy cupie curls, and her like weirdly awkward cleavage in this dress and all of her dialogue just you nailed it she is in a completely different movie from this she's trying to act like she's in a super dramatic even soap opera but but not a soap opera because even soap operas are like heightened yeah but her performance in this movie is so naturalistic and so like grounded and real in a movie where everyone else's performance
performances are like the most campy 80s. Oh, hey, Donna. Is everybody going out tonight? Oh, no. He's got a machete. Look out. Like that kind of like bullshit acting. And Louise Lasser is on a different fucking level. It's nuts. <laughs> I was going to ask you, is there a single male character in this this movie that is not a fucking giant tool in some way or another? I mean, Brad, like the the yeah, the boyfriend Brad, character, right. like yeah. for the amount that he's in this movie. <laughs> he seems like the most down to earth and with it and he kind of gets fucked. He seems like he genuinely cares for her as well too and cares about like her son Todd. Like he seems very well meaning. Every other guy in this movie is a piece of shit <laughs> Yeah. Anyway, right after they announce that they're getting engaged and it like, you know, immediately triggers Terry, the phone rings. And so she steps around the corner into the kitchen and answers the phone and finds out that dun dun dun, Todd has escaped the mental asylum hospital, whatever. I don't know what the proper term is and they keep calling it different things. But anyway, you find out that Todd has escaped and he is now potentially heading home on Thanksgiving. Here's the most fucking unforgivable part of this entire entire plot it's probably well known gets out there that this mental patient who has a history of being accused of murder escaped right instead of the police showing up at the house being like we'll have somebody at the apartment complex at all times to be on the lookout for when he comes back home we're gonna make sure everything's okay no they're not gonna call the police and and none of that happens instead we're gonna have this fucking psychiatrist and and her most bumbling ass assistant I've ever seen just show up up with a tranquilizer gun and like flashlights no no we'll, oh my god yeah we'll yeah, take yeah. care of this no if a escaped killer got out of a complex like that the police would be all over the goddamn place exactly the first place yeah. they would go is stake out the ha- uh, the, the uh, yeah home. the other unforgivable thing is what fucking terry does because he goes into the kitchen and it's like yeah is everything okay mom and she's like terry it's your brother He's escaped, blah, blah, blah. But don't tell anybody. Just just keep it secret. It, we'll figure it out. It's going to be okay. Okay, Mom. They go sit down, and then immediately Terry's just like, Oh, hey, everybody. My fucking crazy brother just escaped the <laughs> mental institution and is probably heading here. Oh, well. Happy Thanksgiving. And, and she's staring daggers at him yeah. just like, you motherfucker. Yeah. Granted, this is all ridiculous, but he's doing that on purpose. It's not like a guffaw oh, totally, of the yeah. movie. like Because he's got the blood rage. This is like the most calculated I think he gets. Because you can see this coming from a thousand miles away. Yeah. So, yeah, I just love that he like blasts that shit out of the table <laughs> immediately after she was like explicitly don't tell anybody. <laughs> at this point, um, we see them cleaning up after dinner. Maddie's like distraught at this point. So he like convinces her like, go chill out in the bedroom. I'll clean up. She's distraught, but everyone else is like- No big deal. No yeah. big deal. Like that the supposed psycho killer is on his way back. No big, no big. Yeah. So Brad and Maddie are in the bedroom and he's talking to her, kind of trying to calm her down and they start making out. And once again, Terry sees his mom having an adult relationship and he gets- the blood rage. Um, so anyway, this is the moment where that you mentioned a second ago where like the doorbell rings and he like turns away, goes to answer the door and is immediately like slammed up against the wall by the psychologist assistant guy pointing a fucking gun at him is just like, just hold still, motherfucker. And the fucking psychiatrist runs up and I love her line. I had to write it down like verbatim because at that point, the psychologist runs up who also has a fucking pistol in her hand, by the way. But she runs up and it's just like, 
Put that gun down. Can't you see? It's his twin. You are his twin, aren't you? And then as soon as the front door opens, Louise Lasser is just like, What's that gun? <laughs> and we keep saying... we keep, fucking movie. We keep switching back and forth between psychologists and psychiatrists. I don't even know uh, if yeah, the movie... Yeah, Jesus I, Christ. I don't it, doesn't know make if, it, it doesn't say. Yeah. I don't know if the movie even fucking establishes that in dialogue ever, what she yeah. actually is. Hey! I got him, Doc. Gun is only a tranquilizer gun. Now listen, I'm Dr. Berman. I'm from the Institute. I want to see your mother. Dr. Berman. Did you find him? No, I haven't even looked yet. What's that gun? It's okay, Mom. At this point, Brad shows up again, the boyfriend, and is just like, alright, uh, okay. Y'all go back inside, and he takes the psychologist and her assistant aside, and is like, alright, look, I own this complex. Y'all go look for fucking Todd. I'm gonna be in my office if y'all need me. I'm gonna go try to, like, call the police or whatever, and we'll go from there, right? So he goes to his office. There's lots of, like, characters now giving each other specific directions. Like, the psychologist and her assistant are talking about, like, you go here, you go here, blah, blah, blah. Brad's in his office. He's talking on the phone, and I believe he's just talking to Maddie, trying to calm her down, right? And fucking Terry sneaks up behind him. There's, like, big sliding glass patio doors, and he walks up and, like, tap, tap, taps on the glass with his machete, clearly holding a machete again. Yeah, yeah. Brad slides the door open and is just like, hey, what's going on? Didn't see you there. And Terry immediately just raises this giant machete and cuts Brad's fucking hand off. And it's the most fake hand squirting blood everywhere. Fake hand on the ground holding the, like, beer can, gripping the beer can. And, and the best part is the hand is still moving on the ground. Yeah, the hand is still twitching. Yeah. Brad is, like, holding this fake stump squirt blood and he's just losing his mind. He's like, ah, ah. Terry's just grinning the whole time. Oh, and meanwhile, like, like the little bit he's in his office before Terry shows up, he's listening to like the most fucking like hellfire and brimstone Christian radio sermon. Yeah, like some kind of televangelist thing. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if that was done on purpose. I'm sure that they were trying to make some kind of point there. I think it's kind of cheeky because the, it specifically said something like an eye for an eye and a hand for a hand. And then he gets his fucking hand cut off. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Also, there's that MC Escher drawing on the wall of the fucking hand holding the mirror or <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So I think it's a little bit cheeky. I think that was probably some stuff done on purpose. But again, this is where the gore effects are like out of fucking control out of nowhere too, because there has not been like, again, when the violence happens in this movie, it is the most insane over the top. You took it to 11 when we really just needed like a five and a half. You always hear those rumors uh, in production of these kind of horror movies in the 70s and 80s of like a bucket of blood that someone splashes on the wall for like a gore effect. And it's like the most- This is that. Yeah. Watered down like jam, red jam. Yeah, this is that with hands that continue to move after you cut them and other ridiculous shit that's about to happen. Yeah. We then cut back to the assistant guy, the orderly guy, and he is searching for Todd behind the apartments where they have all the patios coming out the back of every apartment. And he's mumbling to himself and talking about, yeah, she tells me I should relax. I'll show her how to relax. He like pulls out a joint and like lights up a joint to relax. He's looking for Todd and he's like, hey, Todd, you, you want to smoke some doobie with me? Like, Yeah, I love the Terry's just like, sure, and takes a joint, hits it. Yep. And then the orderly guy is like, yeah, haha, kind of funny. The doctor's convinced that Todd's been innocent this whole time, and now you're the one that killed everybody. Terry Mew's just like, uh, 
stab and <laughs> <laughs> just like machete completely through this guy just dead okay sure and the hilarious thing is through all of these scenes it keeps cutting back to Louise Lasser in the apartment and she is popping pills there is a fucking scene where she is sitting on the floor in the kitchen in front of the refrigerator with the door wide open just eating leftover corn and green beans like with her hands she's just like staring into the nothingness of the fridge (laughs) just eating leftovers like with her hands on the floor and it's fucking wild y'all yeah Um, she's like slamming wine while she's vacuuming and just randomly dialing people on the phone and she's like fucking just scrubbing the oven like it's just the most inane bullshit while she is just getting wasted she is talking to herself and screaming to herself like there's literally just a scene where she's pouring a glass of wine but like the most awkward like holding the bottle by the very end pouring the whole bottle into this glass there's a cigarette hanging out on the table and she's just dialing a phone that's it nothing happens it's just that like the why is that scene in this fucking movie but you had to think it was just like well we have Louise Lasser for like two days (laughs) yeah so let's just shoot as much b-roll of her as we can to put in this movie it's fucking wild Terry has just killed the psychologist's assistant guy and he was like wandering around behind the apartments. Well, now we see the psychologist, Dr. Berman. She's wandering around in the woods outside the apartment complex looking for Todd. So she's got a flashlight and she's wandering around calling out for him. And then all of a sudden, Terry steps into frame and he starts walking toward her with the machete once she sees him. And she literally has all the fucking chance in the world to run away. But she's just standing there screaming. Yeah, and the whole time in this movie, I don't think Terry ran one time. No. He is just walking at people. <laughs> Yeah. And he's barely hiding this machete, if at all, in these scenes, too. Yeah. It's just, like, held behind his back, but he's clearly holding something behind his back, you know? This scene where, like, he's walking up towards her and she's just sitting there screaming reminded me of the scene of the priest in The Omen of just, he had a full seven seconds before the pole was going (laughs) to impale him to just sidestep. Like This fucking edit, too, cracked me up because we just see Terry, like, walking toward her and a close-up of her screaming screaming and a close-up of the fucking like flashlight and then more of her screaming and then more of him walking and then more of her screaming and then it cuts back to maddie in the apartment yep again just slamming wine dialing the telephone randomly and then it fucking hard cuts to the psychologist cut in half with her guts spilling all over the place and she's freaking out and flailing and screaming and again i think her legs her bottom torso is still moving it's still twitching yeah, yeah. again it's just the creative <laughs> editing of like we don't have to show the special effect of the kill. We'll just cut back to her with guts out. <laughs> and once again, there's no way in fucking hell in reality a machete would do that. Literally, literally cut, cut someone in completely half. In half. <laughs> yeah. Legs are three feet away from her guts out and it's clearly just like they buried her like bottom half of her body with fake guts out and that kind of thing. And the, and the legs are clearly just mannequin legs. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, Todd finally arrives at the apartment complex. This like fucking sad sack with his greasy long hair. He walks up to literally like the giant entrance sign that says Shadow Woods Apartments, but it's clearly the existing sign for probably whatever the real apartment complex was, and they literally just put the shittiest letters (laughs) over that. (laughs) So we then cut back to Terry. So Terry is now back in his apartment, and he's taking off all of his bloody clothes, and this is where we get the first instance of him dipping his feet 
finger in some of the blood and tasting it and saying, it's not cranberry sauce. <laughs> uh, I say first instance because he literally says it like four fucking times. Oh, yeah. This movie, this movie uh, makes full use of that fucking clever line that they think is like the best catchphrase or whatever for a serial killer. Yeah. yeah this, this movie belabors that point until it's in the fucking ground. Yeah. So we see him like change out of his bloody clothes and then we see him in the shower scrubbing the fuck out of himself <laughs> to get that fake blood off. <laughs> and again, it just takes so long. We then see him like blow dry his hair and put put on his fucking goofy tank top like there's no need for any of that but anyway he decides that he's gonna pay a visit to the sexy neighbor andrea who like talked to him earlier and said was like yeah i'm gonna be babysitting later if you want to come hang out right in front of the other girl who's maybe the girlfriend da 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 yeah what whatever <laughs> at this point yeah. so he goes over to this apartment where andrea is babysitting andrea's wearing just a tank top with no bra and like a jean vest and she's got her hair all done up so she's like in full sexy mode right and immediately she's like trying to come on to terry and he's like completely uninterested she like offers him some booze and he's like no i don't drink which motherfucker we just saw you like hit that joint earlier but you like also okay whatever nah man he's straight edge hardcore yeah really he he hit that joint real hard but then is like oh uh vodka nah i'm good <laughs> so yeah andrea is like trying to seduce him and he's just uninterested to the point where like they're on the couch together and he's just like what's on the tube click <laughs> he's like get off me i want to see what happens on the movie yeah which i won't lie there are definitely times where like heather and i will be watching a movie and she's trying to be flirted with me and i'm just like no shut up we're gonna i'm watching this <laughs> i won't say that i'm not guilty of the same thing but anyway uh, and i may i may be misquoting him but i think our buddy zach lamplu uh who just shot his bigfoot movie once again congratulations on your success with that man but i think he told me one time how he's gotten to this stage in his life and this was before he was in a long-term relationship he's like i got into the stage of my life where like star wars determines if i'm gonna stay with somebody or not (laughs) if the girl i'm dating doesn't at least tolerate watching star wars it's not gonna work (laughs) so at this point we then cut to again another apartment because it just bounces between these fucking apartments but karen the girl that again maybe is terry's girlfriend already but maybe not i don't know she shows up at his apartment and she like knocks on the door and and nobody answers and she goes around back to go through like the glass door on the patio and oops bumps into Todd who's now also at the apartment and she thinks he's Terry yeah and she starts just spilling I've been in love with you forever and I thought about this a lot but I want you to make love to me just like I don't know we're just like I love you and I want you to fuck me and at that point Todd kind of is like oh that would be neat I've never kissed a girl before oh shit wait you're talking about my brother oh shit you're Todd you're the crazy brother oh shit oh shit and karen like literally runs away (laughs) poor todd never kissed a girl karen fucking bails when she realizes it's todd a because she's just confessed her heart to him but also he's the crazy brother yeah then todd is like either manic or just eeyore in every scene he's in by the way yeah every scene he's just like either bug-eyed like losing his shit or yeah he's just like oh no so yeah karen runs around to like i guess the other side of that block of apartments and bumps into Greg and Artie from earlier in the movie when they were playing football. And these are your quintessential yuppie douchey bros. They're hanging out in their convertible and she runs up and is just like, oh shit, I just ran into Todd, the crazy brother. And they're like, oh shit. And, you know, one of them like hops out and gets a baseball bat. It's like, I'm gonna find that fool and, you know, runs off for a minute. 
it. And the other guy is like trying to make moves on her. He's like, I was just trying to comfort you, baby. Yeah. So whatever. These two fucking douchebags. We cut back to Andrea and Terry who were like watching a horror movie on TV. And again, it's this movie called The Bride, which was written by the director of this movie. And she's like trying to put the finishing moves on Terry. And then Julie, the woman who she's babysitting for, her and her date Bill also arrive home. We can assume that maybe they were also out with friends or whatever for Thanksgiving dinner. Yep. And they're ready to fuck as well immediately. Oh yeah. Everyone oh, is yeah. DTF in this movie besides Terry and Todd. So Julie is in again like full 80s mullet shoulder pads weird. I can't remember the name of that exact type of dress but she is 80s sexy to the max and then Bill her boyfriend date whatever is the most revenge of the nerds fucking square ass dude which fun thing bill is played by ed french he is the guy who did all the makeup and gore effects for this movie oh shit really yeah which is why he has the best death scene that we're going to talk about i was about to say that yeah because of course if you're doing the makeup you're going to have the best death scene for yourself but wild thing is this he has worked on so much shit it was blowing my mind going through his imdb and looking at all the stuff that he's worked on either as like a makeup supervisor or a special effects supervisor or whatever and the connection that i talked about earlier with fucking hellraiser 4 is he did makeup and special effects stuff for that but he also did sleepaway camp really chud again looping back around to this movie the actress that plays karen that was in that fucking larry cohen movie this guy ed french also did the special effects for the stuff he did creep show 2 terminator 2 star trek 6 walk hard paul blart mall cop (laughs) which is the subject of another one of our favorite thanksgiving podcasts by the way if you have not listened to fucking till death do us blart it's hilarious yeah it's with the mcelroy brothers and then the the two new zealand guys who uh do worst idea of all time in which once a year every year at american thanksgiving they watch paul blart mall cop 2 and talk every year and they're going to every year until they are all dead. That's yes. the pact that they made is that every year they're going to watch fucking Paul Blart record an episode of the podcast until they are all dead. Going back to like people who kind of really ham it up, kind of like how uh, Raimi did earlier. Ed French hams it up and that really kind of just tight knit Revenge of the Nerd as you kids shouldn't be drinking or you shouldn't drink and drive. Like, yeah. Make sure you do this. Well, I love the scene where like he's just sitting on the couch and on the coffee table is like this tray with all these liqueurs on it. Not even like actual liquor. It's just mixers. And he's like sitting there like smelling them and commenting on them. And like he's got like the bottle open. He's just like, hmm, creme de menthe. And like, like what the <laughs> fuck? But there's also like banana liqueur, like creme de banana, which sounds awful. That sounds, that's like that fucking 99 banana shit you used to drink in college all the time. <laughs> it was only like twice, but. Uh, uh, but anyway, yeah, this guy like also works worked on fucking Dragon Ball Evolution. He worked on Check It Out with Dr. Steve Brule and the Tim and Eric Krimba special. He's still Cooties, doing shit. Westworld. He's still doing shit. He's, he's working on Westworld. So yeah, this dude's actually like a really accomplished makeup and special effects guy and he's just, he's in this fucking movie. So anyway, they get back home. Yeah, Bill makes these goofy comments about like, huh, y'all shouldn't be like drinking and driving. Burr, burr, burr. You know, so Andrea and Terry like bail now that like she's gotten paid um, which I love it too. She was just like, yeah, $10. And the woman's just like, oh, $10. Oh, I'll see what I 
can do. It's like, y'all been gone all night. She babysat y'all's kid all night long. Like, ten bucks even in the 80s is not too much. Karen and the two douchey guys are, like, sitting out in their car. And then they see Terry and Andrea walking out of the apartments. And immediately, like, Karen hops out and runs over Terry. And it's like, Terry, your brother's here. Todd's here. I just saw him, right? And immediately, again... Terry is triggered. He has the blood rage. <laughs> so out of nowhere, all these teens are just like, yeah, well, let's just go party. Let's go back to yeah. this person's apartment and go party. I guess everything will be okay. And Terry's like, no, I'm going to find my brother. And he like charges off into the fucking night, I guess. Terry goes back to the apartment and tells his mom, like, Todd's here. You know, they saw him earlier. And again, Maddie begins to fucking freak out and lose her shit. And is just like, go find your brother. Oh, God, you got to fight him. You got to fight. Oh, don't forget your sweater. (laughs) (laughs) Her performance is nuts. Um, Anyway. Moment of lucidity there, I guess. Yeah. So Todd finds Dr. Berman's body and kind of has this emotional moment where he, like, gets down on his knees and is just like, why? And I love that, like, he fucking picks up the fake legs and yes. just like try to stick them back yeah. onto her <laughs> and he takes dr berman's like super fucking fake gun which again this is a toy revolver that is just spray painted silver so he like picks up the gun and goes off to look for the brother you know so now we have both of these brothers looking for each other There's also a a random scene with a little girl where, like, Terry bumps into this little girl who's just wandering out in the woods looking for her cat. Oh, was it Terry? I thought it was Todd that did that. Sorry, yeah, yeah. Oh, God. God damn it. These twins. (laughs) Yeah. Anyway, Todd encounters this little girl. And, again, this is trying to establish Todd's the good one. He would not hurt anybody. So he comes across this little girl. And he's like, little girl, you need to go inside. Lock the door. Don't let anybody in. Whatever you do, don't let anybody in. Check out gun. Okay, mister. (laughs) Yeah, this is totally Chekhov's little girl wandering in the woods looking for a cat that's told to go stay back in her apartment and not let anybody in. And I only say that again because it's a Chekhov's gun thing. Oh, well, and you were saying that they're trying to do this to establish Todd as, like, the nice one, which, yeah, that was a good thing that he did there. But because he's Todd, he did it in the most creepy manner way. Yeah, totally. It it was still just came across as very problematic, at least. Yeah, because I love the little girl's, like, reaction because she's just like, the fuck? Yeah. No, you weirdo. (laughs) Like. Yeah. Her reaction's great. Yeah. So we cut back to, I guess, Andrea's apartment? Dude, I don't know. Like, I lost... Yeah. At this point, this is where I lost track of what apartment they were in or where they were. Yeah. So I guess we cut back to, like, maybe Andrea's apartment where all the teens are now hanging. I said, okay, and again, we say teens. These are, like, fucking 27-year-olds. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're, like, a little bit younger than we are. Yeah. So Andrea is teaching Karen how to drink tequila shots, explaining, like, you put the salt and then you take shots. But they're like fucking chasing it with like a lemon? The fuck? (laughs) Okay, I guess y'all's lime budget was off this year. And Greg and Artie, the two douchey guys, are like sitting there playing like a Commodore 64 or some bullshit racing game. I love the dialogue though. Oh, when video games are out, we can't get the boys to notice us at all. It's just hopeless. So Karen ends up kind of switching places with one of the guys. I think she switches place with Greg. And then Greg ends up back on the couch with Andrea. And of course, Andrea and Greg like sneak off to the bedroom while the other two are like sitting there playing video games. Okay, whatever. Meanwhile, Julie is still in the middle of her like hot date with Bill, which again, Bill is just awkwardly sitting on the couch commenting on all of her mixers, coconut liqueur, and he's like, hmm, 
spotty liqueur. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, she's just like, yes, it's to make things delicious. So anyway, just uh, she's like, yeah, I can go change into something more comfortable. So we see her go into the bedroom to change. And then we see like the baby, like her actual baby is like in this bassinet and it starts crying. And she's like, oh, yeah. And she's trying to calm the baby down. And I love her fucking line. She's like, I'm going to go get you a rich daddy. <laughs> <laughs> While she's in the bedroom changing, the doorbell rings. And she's like, yeah, can you get that bill? And he's like, yeah, sure. So Bill goes and answers the door and fucking Terry's standing there, right? And then it cuts back to the bedroom. We just hear like a scream, record scratch, and the baby starts crying. You might be imagining how I got into this situation. Yeah, really. Frame. So Julie is just, you know, okay, she calms the baby down. She walks out of the living room and it's like, wait, where's Bill? She's like in full lingerie at this point. It's just like, where's Bill? The door knocks again and she like goes over the door, like goes to the people and is like, what are you doing out there, silly? And opens the door and fucking Bill's severed head is just hanging from an electrical cord, <laughs> yeah. like right in line with where the people would be. His face is blood everywhere and uh, it's the most like fucking fake head. But then of course, Terry like steps into frame and is just like, hi, with the machete. Yeah. And yeah, again, going back to Ed French, of course, he made this the most over the top outrageous severed yeah. head ever. And of course, it was on himself. Yeah. We cut back to Todd. Again, the editing is just all over the place. Todd, like, goes back to his mother's apartment. He's wandering around looking in Terry's room and looking at all the stuff in Terry's room and, like, reminiscing on, like, the childhood he never had and think about how it could have been, blah, blah, blah. Maddie, who's, like, slap fucking drunk, thinks that Terry has come home. And then she just proceeds to pass out in the hallway. <laughs> <laughs> so Todd picks her up and puts her in bed and she comes to long enough to like have a moment with him. But again, she still thinks he's Terry and she's just like, you're a good boy. You're my favorite boy. You're my special angel. And Todd's just like, oh, and so, you know, he's not breaking the illusion. We have another scene where there's like a dumb jump scare fake out. You know, it, it cuts back to fucking Karen and Artie playing video games and they hear a scream and they go in the back bed room and they think Andrea's dead on the bed but it turns out no they she just has on makeup and Greg jumps out to scare them too really dumb whatever but was this before or after they played tennis this is before because right this before, is the yeah. scene yeah this is the scene where like Karen and Artie are like you guys y'all are losers we're gonna go do whatever and they're like yeah we're gonna hang out and you see a moment where Terry is really like not at all subtly like spying on Andrea and Greg making out on the bed somehow Terry gets into the apartment and is just literally standing in the bathroom watching her shower and nobody seems to notice. It just cuts to the two of them, Andrea and Greg, being like, let's go play tennis at fucking, what, 1030 at night, right? <laughs> well, I guess this apartment complex also has a full tennis court as well. Yeah, apparently, yeah. So we have a nature trail that goes into like a giant fucking swamp, a forest, which I guess can go hand in hand with the nature trail swamp. Now we have a tennis court. The dude's office looked like a completely separate part of... I guess it was the front office or like the back of the front office or whatever. I am not convinced that they didn't just have access to one apartment yeah. and they just kept redressing it. Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, that's probably actually what happened. But, I mean, I gotta say, this apartment complex may as well be a small fucking village because it's all over the place and people are everywhere and there seems to be numerous things all around this apartment and in the apartment, so, but sure. But like you said earlier, no fucking people. No. It's just no. these characters and seemingly nobody else. No. While they're all running around screaming bloody murder and people are dying. Even the little girl who, like, locks her apartment, it seems like this, like, little six or seven-year-old girl is only one living in that apartment. Where the fuck are her parents? Where are her parents? It's Thanksgiving. Like, why is she at home alone? Why was she... Well, yeah, she was looking for a cat, but why would her parents let her... Why was she wandering around (laughs) the middle of the woods? Yeah, whatever. Oh, also, too, why the fuck did Andrea take a shower before they went to play tennis? (laughs) Whatever. Anyway. Cool. So, we cut back to Maddie, and she has this fucking long, drawn-out, crazy drunk phone call with the operator trying to get to Brad's office because, again, Brad's dead. He's not answering the fucking phone. And it's just her talking back and forth. And it's this is the stuff that I feel is improv. They were probably just like, here's the basis of what you need to talk to the operator about. Just go, Louise. And it's just her, like, sitting there improving and having the longest fucking five-minute conversation with the operator just going on and on about, are you sure? But I just called that number. That's got to be the right number. Try it again. Like, freaking out. In working order. That number is in working order? Oh, no, 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 that's impossible. It's impossible. You must have dialed the wrong number. No, he's definitely there. Could you please just recheck that number for me? Because this is a real emergency. Why not? Look. Look, look. Look. You don't seem to understand. This is a real emergency. This is a real emergency. I mean, he is definitely there. He is waiting for my call right now. He is sitting there and waiting for my call. This is very important. Operator, I am begging you. This is a real, real emergency. What's the matter with you? Oh, great. That's a great idea. That's great. Oh, Operator, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Thank you very much. Yes, I'll wait. I'll wait. Hello? Ah, well, the problem is that um, my son just escaped from his school. Well, actually, he ran away. Actually, it's a mental institution. He ran away from his mental institution. Now, um, well, uh, well, now, I was there earlier today to bring him his pie. I, I always bring him an individual piece of pie with a, a, a white plastic fork and a napkin. And I put it in a little box with string. I'm a baker. What? What number do I want? Get me my boyfriend. No, please get me my boyfriend. 
Andrea and Greg have now gone from the tennis court to the pool. And they're having sex on the diving board? I guess, yeah. Terry suddenly appears and kills both of them. Greg sits up and is just like, what? And gets slashed across the neck and falls in the pool. And, you know, Andrea, like, gets slashed in the face. So, just whatever, right? So they're gone. Well, and I'm jumping ahead, but later on, someone else is being chased throughout the pool area, which we'll get to, and opens up a door and the two dead bodies are in, like, a steam room or something. Yeah. That meant that Terry had to get into the pool, drag that body out of the pool. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. I didn't even think about that. Oh, the pool looks pristine later on in the movie. No blood in it, which no is blood, not yeah. at all what would happen. No blood anywhere on the outside of the pool either where he killed two And Terry's people. clothes were not wet, no. which means Terry stripped down naked to get into the pool to get this other naked dude's body out and go hide it and then dry off and I put think his you're clothes. Given- I think you're giving... Totally, but we're giving them the benefit of the doubt here. Like, this is. We're going to think through this moment. We're going to think through this moment. But yeah, to your point, no blood in the pool. Clearly, his clothes are dry, so he must have taken them off, right? To get this other naked dude's body out and then stashed both of them away and did all of this in like the span of seemingly like two minutes, right? This is a big fucking indoor complex. This is like an Olympic sized pool. Olympic sized pool, (laughs) indoor pool, and it must be part of the apartment complex yet again. Yeah. Because it's right fucking there. Yeah. So, Karen and Artie, again, seemingly just casually, conveniently forgetting that crazy brother Todd is on the premises. They're now just walking around in the nature trail having a heart-to-heart together. No problem, right? (laughs) They're having this heart-to-heart, and she's like, you know, I just want you to, like, talk to Terry for me, blah, blah. I like him so much. You're my best friend, and blah, blah, blah. And Artie's like, yeah, I am your best friend. Ha, ha. Sure, I'll do that, right? And Terry jump scares them because he reaches out and like grabs Karen on the leg. So he takes Karen back to his place. Artie goes and gets in his car. And once he's in his car, Todd is fucking waiting for him in the backseat of the car. And I love that Todd is like trying to convince Artie that Terry's the one killing people. It's not me. I'm perfectly fine and innocent. While he's fucking holding Artie at fucking gunpoint, being like, (laughs) I'm not the one killing people. Trust me. (laughs) So here's where I'm a bit confused. In all transparency, whenever we, like, do these episodes, a lot of times I will just fucking pull up Wikipedia, I will grab the entire plot synopsis they have there and just copy-paste it into my notes, but then, like, as I'm watching the movie, I go through and fill in my own notes and details just to, like, put the details in and put my own reflections in, right? This is where I'm confused, because... On Wikipedia, it specifically says, Artie finds the bodies of Greg and Andrea before being held at gunpoint by Todd. That has to be a different weird cut of the movie. I do not remember that at all. Because that didn't happen in the version that was on Amazon. Same here. Yeah, I don't remember that. I will say this. If he found the bodies of Greg and Andrea before getting in his car and being held by gunpoint by Todd, he was like, yeah, I'm not the killer. He was really chill about just getting into his car like nothing (laughs) happened, right? Yeah. So I'm not sure if that's a typo or if that's a weird cut of the movie that I just haven't seen. Because I haven't watched all the different versions that are on that Blu-ray disc uh, or the Blu-ray set that Arrow put out. But I'm not sure like how accurate that is. But I just thought I would note that because that definitely didn't happen in the version I watched. Yeah, same here. Todd and Artie go to the apartment that Terry and his mom, Maddie, live in to confront Terry. But as soon as they open the fucking door and Terry's standing there and Todd and Terry like face 
face each other down for the first time in the movie, Todd fucking, like, immediately bails. He's just like, oh, oh, God. And he, like, gets timid and just runs. Fucking rookie mistake. So Artie and Terry now go looking for Todd, and they're walking around in the fucking wood nature complex walkway thing, and they find a fucking stash of all these bloody weapons. It's like the fucking bloody machete and a, like, hatchet and, like, a fucking barbecue fork, like one of those big two-pronged barbecue forks. And Artie is just like, oh, God, what is all this? We got to go tell somebody. Again, another instance of Todd looking at the fake blood and being like, oh, this doesn't look like cranberry sauce. <laughs> wink. He, all, he may as well just wink at the fucking yeah. camera at this point. But as soon as Artie's like, yeah, we gotta go tell somebody, gets the fucking carving fork in the neck. Again, it's it cuts to like Artie's feet and his feet literally come off the ground and are <laughs> kicking. So you have to think Terry has the fucking strength to stab him up underneath the jaw with this fork hard enough to lift him up off the ground. <laughs> it was a Terminator kill totally it was just i guess i guess he's terminator now yeah so karen now runs into terry out in the woods and terry is like still carrying the bloody machete she initially goes up to him and is just like terry we gotta find your brother oh wait shit 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 you are the killer bum, bum, so bum. she immediately fucking bails and starts running around now this scene is hilarious because this is what you've been just like ago this is a whole fucking montage of her scooby-doo style running around this apartment complex. It really is Scooby-Doo. Going from apartment to apartment to patio to the pool and everywhere she goes she keeps running into another dead body of somebody that was killed earlier and then out of nowhere Todd just magically appears there and is just like, oh, hey missed you, babe. And then ah, gosh, she runs to the next place discovers the next body. Todd pops out of nowhere. Oh, did you sad to see me? Ah, God runs to the next place. So she just keeps fucking running around this entire complex and we kind of keep coming across all the bodies. So anyway, cuts back again to just Batty still fucking drunk dialing the wrong people. (laughs) Um, Karen at one point runs up to this other apartment and is knocking frantically on the door and being like, please let me in. He's trying to get me. And it's the fucking Chekhov's gun little girl who's just like, no, I'm not letting you in. The man told me not to let anybody in. Way to go, Todd. Yeah. So Karen's just like, God damn it. Yeah. <laughs> Keeps running. That's what that's what happens to Todd when he tries to do a good deed and fuck someone else over. Karen eventually runs into Julie's apartment <laughs> and somehow conveniently like doesn't see the fucking severed head. Yeah. Yeah. She like runs in and like sees Terry in that very moment pulling the fucking machete out of Julie's chest because I guess that's how he killed her. We just cut. We didn't see him kill her. It just like cuts a way when he shows up at the apartment. But yeah, he pulls his fucking machete out of her chest like goddamn King Arthur. There's a moment of, like, them kind of running around in this apartment, but eventually, Karen, like, grabs the baby, because the baby's still in this apartment. She grabs the baby and, like, runs out of that particular apartment, and Terry's still chasing her. So we then cut back to, again, a fucking wasted Louise Lasser in the kitchen, like, scrubbing the oven. She opens up the garbage and finds Terry's bloody t-shirt from earlier that he changed out of. Which he didn't make any effort to hide either. It's just Not like on the it's top of the trash. On the top of the trash, yeah. yeah like, fucking half hanging out and everything. Yeah, and then it just immediately cuts to her going to Brad's office and discovering his fucking 
in Bloody Body. And, and I love it. She also goes in through the back sliding glass doors, the office chair with Brad's dead body, which it's all like facing outward, right? So she can't see him. But his fucking head, he's, it's like his face is resting on his two hands. And one is clearly just now a stump and there's blood everywhere. <laughs> and I yeah. love that she's like, Brad, Brad, it's you. Oh my God, Brad, where have you been? And there's clearly blood everywhere. <laughs> so she like does the thing where she like turns the office chair around. And of course she sees his body and she freaks out. And Brad's body like falls forward and his head splits open like a fucking watermelon, like perfectly cleaved in half. <laughs> also too, like this is another one of those weird instances where like the diegetic music that's happening within the scenes is kind of hilarious. Cause we talked about how there was like the doom and gloom preacher, like radio happening in Brad's office. There's like a scene earlier in like Artie's car where the radio is playing the song. It's just like, I'm going to get you. Yeah. 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 yeah I forgot I'm going to get you. Um, so just all the diegetic music in this has to be purposeful. Absolutely. There's no way it's not. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I mean, again, we haven't touched on the soundtrack since like we started our discussion on this movie. It's nonstop throughout the movie, like especially yeah. during the chase scenes or like when Terry is about to jump scare somebody or murder somebody like it's yeah. just all movie long. And yeah. granted, it's a killer soundtrack, but on killer um, <laughs> <laughs> and it uh, but it fucking slaps. It's, yeah. it's good. Like if it was a terrible soundtrack, I don't know if I would have been able to make it all the way through it. But yeah. not for scary reasons either. And the soundtrack didn't make my blood rage. Oh, so we now see Karen with the baby and she now runs into the giant indoor pool complex. And again, she's sitting on the edge of the pool. She thinks she's like safe and fucking Terry just wanders in, gets up on the diving board and just starts bouncing on the diving board. And she doesn't seem to notice this. And he's just like, oh, hey. And she like, ah! freaks out again <laughs> she runs through she discovers andrea and greg's bodies in the sauna manages to hide from terry and hilarious because terry just like walked into the sauna peeks in it's just like oh whoops <laughs> i forgot about that i did that by the way sorry to interrupt you guys yeah so todd now arrives at the pool and there's this hilarious showdown between the two of them so karen's got the baby and she's like off to the side of the pool and todd shows up and he and terry have this standoff for a hot minute and then they immediately just two punches the gun is now out of Todd's hands they fall in the pool they're fighting in the pool Terry kind of gets the upper hand on Todd and he's kind of dazed and Karen is trying to get Todd out of the pool and as Terry is climbing out of the other side of the pool Maddie in a state of catatonia in her like drunk in her fucking robe and slippies she just appears in the like pool complex and just fucking shoots Terry like five times. She goes around to Todd and is cradling Todd who like kind of half drowned, right? Yeah. And then she's just like, oh Terry, I'm so glad you're okay. I got him. I got Todd. Todd won't bother us anymore. It's just me and you. That's all we need. It's just me and you, Terry. And then of course Todd is just like, but, 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 mom, I'm Todd. And that's when Maddie realizes like, oh fuck, I killed my favorite son Terry and Todd is still here and while she's like kind of realizing this Todd just gets up and is just banging his head against the fucking wall just like no <laughs> and Maddie f- 
fucking grabs the gun and shoots herself in the head. Yep. <laughs> Blood splatters everywhere. Karen runs out with the baby just off into the distance. She just runs off into the night. We don't know what happens. And we hear police sirens in the distance and dot, dot, dot. The movie fucking ends. Like the most like bleak out of nowhere. All of a sudden don't know what happens to Todd. We don't know what happens to Karen and the baby. Fucking Maddie like drunk shoots herself. Like it is the most bleak ass dark ending to this fucking movie. Yeah, it was the same type of ending from like an American werewolf in London where like the whole movie is kind of over the top and goofy and then this bleak as fuck ending out of nowhere cut to yeah. black suddenly. We're not doing it justice. You have to go watch it because as bleak as this ending is, even all of this shit is amateur and over the top as fuck. <laughs> yeah. So let's break down. Nothing in this movie is scary. This movie like tries its hardest. It's not scary. It's got over the top gore and it has some ridiculous subject matter that is in real life some heavy shit right mental illness ain't no joke having family members with mental illness ain't no joke suicide ain't no joke right murder ain't no joke like all this heavy shit that this movie trips fumbles falls on a sharpie in the butt pie in the face the most insane irresponsible bullshit 80s handling of all this subject matter no again this may as well be like the airplane of slasher movies yeah if you thought just regular slasher movies from the 80s and 70s were ridiculous you ain't seen nothing yet until you watch this movie i will tell you the one thing that actually maybe slightly bothered me like in terms of horror or ideas of horror <laughs> you're gonna fucking laugh at this because it's random um <laughs> the scene where it's terry and Artie, and like they're like best buds at least it, you're assuming they were and then yeah. out of nowhere he's fucking stabs Artie in the neck with the, the carving fork i weirdly was just like man that would suck if i'm just hanging out with one of my brothers i'm hanging out with you like we're just hanging out you're acting a little weird kind of cracking really weird jokes but for the most part everything's seems normal and you're like oh yeah by the way like we're gonna have some nice dinner tonight uh hey could you come here in a se- uh, and help me with the chicken for a second stab 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 stab, stab, stab <laughs> me in the neck like i thought of that when i was watching this movie and i was just like yeah that idea is kind of creepy if one of my friends just suddenly decided to snap and fucking murder me for no reason yeah and the general premise of this movie really is scary let's say you have a close family member like a sibling who for all you fucking know and granted, like, let's let's not play the whole, like, oh, but you're actually the one that killed it and, like, frame <laughs> that sibling. Like, we're not going to pull that switchery. But imagine, like, you have a sibling who has mental illness, who has committed violent acts, who is in a care facility. And then all of a sudden, on fucking Thanksgiving, you get a call that's like, yo, they escaped. And they're probably heading your way. That's scary. That's fucking terrifying. It's fucking terrifying, like, already, like, having to deal with people with extreme violent tendencies and behaviors, people who need medication, people who need care when they don't have that. And you, as just, like, a regular person, not knowing how to manage that, not knowing how to help them, and not knowing, like, how to handle the situation to where things don't escalate, that's scary. That's a real-life scary thing to, like, think through, and you not know how not know like how to handle it you know? the closest scenes to that too are like when todd comes across his girlfriend or uh even Artie and is holding him at gunpoint being like it's not me uh, yeah think about that like think about if all of that was true and you know the person who is currently escaped and out and people are looking for they approach you and they're acting all manic you don't know how dangerous they are or if you're like what level of danger you're in but they are acting very erratic just dealing with erratic people 
in general, it can be very scary. Yeah. Even if they don't have a weapon that you can see on them, like, it's still kind of scary to deal with someone like that. Yeah. There have been a few times in my job where I have dealt with people that give me those kinds of vibes. And granted, nothing's happened, but I still encounter people that are just the general public, you know, and I don't know what their situation is, but right. something's off. And I yep. know something's off and yep. I'm in, I'm talking to them and I can sense that and it puts you on edge and it makes you nervous because you don't know like how to properly deal with that situation that won't potentially escalate things because you don't know like what you could potentially do wrong. It, there's something unsettling about that and it sucks because you want that person to like be okay. You want them to like have the care that they need or the medication that they need and you don't always like know what their situation is. So, you know, that's that stuff is scary for sure. Yeah, I've been around the situation where they are potentially dangerous because we've straight up had to ban people from like the hospital premises or get them escorted out by security or just straight up arrested. That's happened at hospitals I've worked at. It seems like it's, it's not a very common occurrence, but when you're dealing, especially in like high intensity areas, is where like people are very sick or even dying that's going to happen like there are just some people who can't cope in that moment or they become like either dangerous to you others or themselves and that becomes a problem but yeah those ideas are scary but again like i mentioned at the very beginning all in context amateur as fuck yeah Yeah, all in context exactly i wasn't even really thinking about like the deep-seated issues of mental illness when i was watching this movie i was just laughing my ass off at how ridiculous it was the entire time i didn't quite think about the I guess deeper stuff until after and I was kind of thinking it over and what I wanted to say on this episode what I could take away out of this and I guess that's the closest thing yeah you know this is definitely like part of the seed of like where our show idea came from was like let's talk about horror movies and like what's effective and what's scary none of this is effective this movie is dealing with all of this actual deep shit but it's done in such an amateur hour kind of way like I won't say glib necessarily like I think this movie is trying it's damnness to like be serious but like it ain't um so you can't take it seriously and like even though this is heavy shit that normally people would maybe find like upsetting the way that it's handled in this movie like tonally with the rest of the movie and again like you said in context there's nothing to be upset about in this movie other than like just how amateur hour everything yeah. is because again it just fits the tone of the movie and there is like a weird like sincerity to how they're trying to handle it but because it's so amateur hour it's all wrong yeah. but i don't think i don't think it's like mean-spirited or glib in the way that it handles this stuff necessarily no. i guess the darkest part of it really is when she kills herself i mean even that is kind of done and, and the edits on it and everything else and the gore effect like even that's ridiculously over the top but lasser's character is i guess like you have been saying this whole time like is on a different planet but like she more than anyone is trying to make this seem like a serious work of art the mental yeah. breakdown of a mother <laughs> and, yeah. and like it's just unfortunate because like you can tell she is doing her damnedest to make this work and she's surrounded by this movie but also her own performance is kind of ridiculous it, it's ridiculous because she totally doesn't fit in with the rest of the movie but it's also ridiculous just that like 70% of her fucking performance in this movie is just her getting wasted in this apartment and like vacuuming <laughs> yeah well and that's the thing like take this performance that she had in this movie and put it in, in any other movie and it's still fucking ridiculous like yeah I just think her performance alone is already ridiculous but then you have this movie surrounding it and it's just like (laughs) it's like what are we doing here guys so 
That's blood rage. Happy Thanksgiving, everyone. Yeah, you forgot that this took place on Thanksgiving, right? Because it's only brought up once at like the fucking beginning of the movie. And then also the, this doesn't taste like cranberry sauce. Yeah, it's not cranberry <laughs> sauce. <laughs> yeah, this movie's trash. It's on Amazon Prime. You should definitely check it out with a group of friends this Thanksgiving. So again, Friendsgiving, if you have family who are like cool with watching trash, this is definitely a fun one to watch with a group of people. It's just fun and that kind of insane way so definitely check it out again amazon prime arrow has a great blu-ray of it that's out it has been on and off shutter it will probably i mean as of this recording it's not but it will probably show back up on shutter again before thanksgiving oh yeah uh, yeah probably if you're looking for something to watch this is definitely one that is worth watching with a group of people and you will have a blast yeah well i guess with that we got another one in the can this turkey is baked <laughs> we uh we are the watch if you dare podcast you can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Castbox, Spotify. Not Spotify. Um, what's I know I'm missing one. Castbox, Spotify. Oh, it is Spotify. Okay. Uh, Jesus. Podbean. Yeah. Yeah. We're we're amateur hour here. All the places. Yeah. All all the all the places. And then we are at Watch If You Dare on Twitter and Facebook. You know, we had already thanked all y'all earlier in this episode, but once again, thank you for all the support. We really really. Thank y'all. It's been a good year. We are thankful for the year. We are thankful for the support. We want to keep going and giving y'all some uh, fun content to listen to. So definitely thanks. Thank you. Thank you. Season of thanks. Yeah. And Mansfield is going to start putting me through the ringer yet again, even though I already been put through the ringer a couple times. Jane Doe and the nightmare were pretty brutal. And (laughs) yeah, we got we got one more fun one coming up very specifically. And then from there it's just gonna be heavy shit so we're gonna get into the actual like horror horror part going forward yeah can't wait hopefully i don't quit the podcast (laughs) but yeah so with that happy thanksgiving sally happy south thanks thanks sally's yeah uh you know what well before we go texas chainsaw massacre I feel like it, it would have been better if it was also taking place on Thanksgiving. <laughs> uh, yeah, totally. That is a great Thanksgiving movie. It is about family. It is about food. It's about togetherness. That's a great Thanksgiving horror movie, even though it's not anything to do with Thanksgiving, actually. Yeah, so shout out to my little brother, Jesse Mansfield, uh, a.k.a. Partygator, for his bumps at the beginning and ends of the episodes. Again, check his stuff out on Bandcamp. Check out Opossums. Check out uh, Fuck Phil Bryant check out like starship yellow enterprise c or whatever that other he's got like five bands check them all out they're all on band camp he's busting his ass man yeah so give him a listen again thank you all for your support it's been a good year and with that that's not cranberry sauce that's not <laughs> sally sauce i'm todd i'm todd i'm sally i'm sally